Are you passionate about your professional future but not sure what's next? The Ohio State University Fisher College of Business can take your education and career to the next level with its highly ranked Working Professional MBA. With flexibility to earn a degree entirely on campus, online, or a mix of both, an MBA from Ohio State is more accessible than ever. To get started, visit go.osu.edu WPMBA. The Ohio State University Max M. Fisher College of Business, where principled leaders are created. Are you ready to learn the business skills you need to accelerate your career? The Ohio State University Fisher College of Business is now offering its highly ranked working professional MBA entirely online. Whether you choose to attend on campus, online, or a mix of both, you're in control, balancing the demands on your busy schedule. Don't wait. Start your personalized MBA journey this fall. Visit go.osu.edu slash WPMBA to learn more and apply. The Ohio State University Max M. Fisher College of Business, where principled leaders are created. All right, welcome back to another week of the Razzball Prospect Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Lifshitz. I'm actually here once again with my favorite co-host, that's Lance Brozdowski. What's going on, man? I missed you. I hope you had an excellent turkey day. The rumors are not true. Lance did not join the circus. He has recommitted himself to the discipline of prospecting, and he is here with us today. Uh, actually I I kidnapped him and he's locked in uh, my basement. So Lance, thanks for uh, coming into my basement out of your cage. How's the uh, game logging been going for the last 14 hours? (laughs) The, uh, man, that's a great intro. Yeah. I'm doing pretty well, man. I'm uh, I'm a little sick. Uh, so I apologize on the horse voice. Um, from the cage, (laughs) from the cage. Yeah. Yeah. There's no food. So my immune system is really, really just poor right now. But, uh, yeah, out in Chicago, man. It's gotten cold. We got some snow. I was traveling a lot for Thanksgiving. I was back in the Northeast. Now I'm back out here. Another week I'll be in uh, Vegas for winter meetings. I'm uh, kind of all over the place, man, but it's good to catch up here and good to run through some trades. Today was the big Cano day where basically the entire day was just the evolution of this Robinson Cano trade to the Mets, obviously, from Seattle Mariners. And we're going to dig into that on the prospect side. Obviously, we're also going to dig into some of the other happenings in the league regarding prospects. Some more speculation because that seems to be – well, pretty much what everyone's doing, and I don't have any problem with that because usually that speculation uh, has to do with prospects, and that's what we're here for. And we're also going to break into a smaller um, segment that we're calling, I guess, sleeper prospects or something like that, Ralph, where we're going to kind of hash through hash through some of the prospect live lists. This is powered by Prospects Live, of course, and uh, we're going to hash through and some of the lists. Like, huh? Yeah, that's no, all right. It's all right. <laughs> we're gonna not hash that through. grave an intro, huh? No, no, not that great. <laughs> it was good. It wasn't great. Um, we're going to run through some of the 11 through 30-ish kind of guys from the list that me and Ralph have made. Ralph did uh, 
Colorado, Houston, Baltimore, Boston. I did. I've done. Excuse me, St. Louis, Minnesota, and Pittsburgh. So we each have a couple guys from there. We're gonna look at. I think we're also gonna toss in some other people as well. So that's the rundown for the show. Um, Ralph, let's dig right into this. We got Cano news. Uh, still evolving. I don't think we could call this official. Mm. Um, I I don't know if we want to go through the entire evolution of the trade or just talk about what we know on Friday or Saturday because we're in different time zones and it's eleven thirty in my and twelve thirty in your end. So. The December 1st to November 30th night, the night of November 30th, I guess we know that <laughs> currently it is uh, Robinson Cano and Edwin Diaz along with only $20 million for Jared Kalenic. Um, not Justin Dunn, apparently. We have no, Justin Dunn Justin is what Dunn. I heard. Yes. No McNeil. No McNeil. Okay, so we have Jared Kalenic, t- former first-round pick, Justin Dunn, um, multiple pitch starter, probably around like an SP3-ish kind of guy. And then no McNeil, and we have Bruce and Swarzak in that deal. So there's a lot to unpack with this. Um, I don't even know where to start, honestly. We obviously want to start mm. with the prospect side here, Ralph. But I, I guess the first thing I want to start with is exactly how much of a gauge do you think the Mets really got on Jared Kalenic before they started putting him on the table in a package like this where they want to go win now? I, I just I'm interested in that because you're at such a low level with a guy like this, and you don't really get that much exposure. Um, it's like, do you think that the Mets are comfortable trading away a guy like Kellen because they know exactly what the profile is, or do you think that that profile is still up in the air? Yeah, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not actually exactly sure uh, that the profile is even as much of a question as like he's far away, and I, I, we don't know, we don't know how the, you know, the new GM is necessarily going to handle prospects. We have zero track record and we know it's New York. It seems like all of a sudden they were trading, you know, Noah Syndergaard potentially for a bunch of, you know, prospects and younger players to, to sort of spread out costs over the, the next several years. And then all of a sudden they're in on Robinson Cano and they're trying to make this deal. And potentially, you know, it looks like they're going to be able to dump some dead money and get some cash back on this Cano deal. And it might be a good deal for them. Cano obviously seems to only want to play in, for teams in New York. He'll be able to waive his no trade clause, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm 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 really really confused as to why uh, Kalenic is the guy they feel they need to part with. I feel like there's a lot of other players here. It seems like McNeil adds some redundancy, regardless of what you think of him. You know, I I think he's a nice story. I think he's a good player. I think we don't have a lot of track record with him since the swing adjustments at the major league level. It was a really nice sample size. The numbers were pretty good. The only one I would say that was a little alarming. Uh, was the chase rate, you know, the O swing. And it was something that I noticed when I, when I watched him this year uh, in the minors, you know, between Binghamton and Vegas, that he will, you know, get a little bit aggressive, but his bat to ball skills and stuff in the zone is excellent. Um, so mm-hmm. I wouldn't, I wouldn't sweat that too much, but kind of getting back to it. I really don't know what the direction is here because I don't understand why, why do you want to move on from a guy like this where in two years, he could have an even greater value. He seems like a chip that you're trading at the wrong time. You have other guys you can move. It seems like, you know, I know this is, this is sacrilegious and, and Jason Woodell is going to fly up from, from, from Florida to kick my ass, Uh-oh. but wouldn't you rather trade Andreas uh, Jimenez than, than, than trade Kalenic, on, uh, you know, honestly? Like, I, I feel like this is the right time to do that. You have Rosario there. You're going to have Cano potentially McNeil. It, it, it seems like that was the guy that you probably should have moved with Dunn. And maybe they didn't feel they needed him. 
and it seemed like a natural fit considering he's a few years away. He's young. He's dynamic. It seems like over the last 12 months, unanimously almost, scouts have sort of raved about Kalanick's skills and the potential ceiling here and just how talented of a player. It seemed like it was actually one of the best moves the Mets have made probably in the last 10 years. Yeah, I'm, I'm, there's a couple things I want to I kind of talk about that you're saying here. The first is I'm not really sure from the Mets' perspective, I guess, I, I see why you want to give up Kalenic because that's that's a 2021-2022 debut kind of guy. And if you're Brody Van Wagner coming in, you're not really interested in that prospect, especially if you're in a win-now mode, which it seems to be. It seems to be they're signaling with this trade. If you're picking up 36-year-old Cano and a, a Diaz player who is coming off a couple years of dominance, but it's probably more of a short-term asset, especially on what the turnover rate with closers is. So from the Mets' perspective, I understand why you trade Kalenic. From the Mariners' perspective... I'd probably want a guy like Jimenez more, honestly, because I think I, I understand what the definite timetable is on his expected arrival. I understand a lot of the aspects of his game a little bit more, even if maybe there's not as much upside. I, mean, I guess there's a lot of people thinking that Kalenic could be like a 60-hit, 55-power corner outfielder with a good arm and right and like end up being a perennial all-star. But again, that, there's, there's high risk with that. You have to tag basically every high school outfield prospect as high risk. And I, I get that maybe it's a little bit less high risk if you want to spectrum it because he's got a good hit tool, but... I don't, I don't know. I guess they want the impact guy. I guess the is looking at it going, I want the impact upside guy. So I guess it, there's just a lot of ways to look at this trade, particularly, you know, especially with a guy like Justin Dunn too, going to Miami, like, or excuse me, going to the Mariners. I'm not exactly sure what the upside is there in terms of Depoto wanting him. I get the, I get the Mets kind of maybe wanting to give him up because it's not, if you're in win down mode as Van Wagenen, you're not really interested in picking up a guy like that who you probably end up putting in a long relief role in the bullpen. Like, sure, maybe that's valuable to have like a two or three inning guy like Dunn, but at the moment, like, there's not really any way he's pushing into the rotation. I think he's a starter long term, so. I guess if you're talking stock up, stock down, it's, I'd probably say it's up for Dunn, even though he's on a shitty team. Um, just because I don't think he would have found his way into the Mets rotation anytime soon, even even with, I know, some praise from the Prospects Live crew on him. But I, I don't know. I think that Jimenez can help the Mets right now, I, I guess, even if it's in a utility role. I know I, I liked what Ahmed Rosario did a bit last year. I thought that some of the improvements he made were nice. Even if their strikeout rate's still high, I think he's a pretty good defender. Um Overall, I think the valuation of him is something that is not really the 60-65 future value guy that everyone saw, especially with the untapped power and all that coming out. I think it's probably more like an average middle infielder. But, I mean, average middle infielders are still tough to come by. There's still teams wanting those, and that's kind of where I come back to on it. So I, I guess maybe I'm one of the few who doesn't think this is a terrible trade for the Mets, especially if they're signaling wing now. And I'll qualify that by saying I, I, I'm I think really, it's a good trade. I, yeah, I don't yeah. think it's a bad trade, actually. I just... I just wonder if they could have traded other prospects. And I just, okay. I, I, I wonder if he's the kind of guy that could blow up on him. I think he could. And, yeah. And I, I understand the Jimenez thing, but I think there's some redundancy there. And this is, if this sure, is the sure. deal you want to make, you know, is there a chance that, you know, maybe this is where Jimenez peaks and he gets exposed a little bit. I don't know. I mean, I love him, but I know there's some people that are, split on him i don't see many guys split in Kalenic. that's true and, and but i think that's you more know what i mean do you like think a, that's I, more because it's more of an unknown like there isn't enough of a sample of looking at him in lower levels of the minors going oh he got exposed a little bit there like he hit pretty well be, yeah. but it was at such a low level that i think there's still so much risk there and he's a well, high school bat it's really easy to look at he's whatever a, flaws he has and because of his age kind of go okay that's fine let's wait 
but it's still a 2021 debut guy. Like, you still got to wait two and a half, three years, four years to get any impact out of him. And if you're looking at win now, like, I get that move over a guy like Jimenez, even if the upside's lower. Like, I, I think yeah. the upside with Kalenic is higher. I just think the downside is substantially lower. Because well, this kid guess, can end up busting. He could be nothing. Yeah, and I, I guess the other part of it is you could hold off Jimenez for a, a bigger deal, right? You know? True, but true. I, I, I just, it seemed like a weird, a weird guy to throw into this deal for what you're getting back. Um, I think ultimately they're getting a guy in Diaz who is one of the more dynamic arms in, in all of baseball. I think like, yeah, I forget the number was, he was like eighth in war last year or the last two years or something like that amongst all pitchers, um, not just relievers, pitchers. Um, and he's somebody that can give you a few innings. I mean, he's a dynamic back of the, 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 the bullpen arm and he's got under team control for a few years. So he's cheap. Um, and he's going to be in your team for a while and you're going to be able to at least keep it at a, a reasonable number, um, until you feel you can move on from him. But mm-hmm. I think if there's any closers in the game that you want to take a bet on, he's probably the guy, Absolutely. especially when you see something like Craig Kimbrell who came out today. I don't know if you saw this, and said that you know the the bidding is starting, and we don't know how much hyperbole this is, but the bidding is starting at, at six six years. I want I want a six year contract. So Jesus. you know when you, when you're when you're sort of posed with that, and maybe maybe there's a conversation that was had, then it's easy to go in that direction and say, hey, okay, we we give up a couple of kids here, um, and potentially it sounds like uh, somehow they were able to talk Jerry Depoto into, or or he just wants Robinson Cano's contract off the book so badly, wants some prospects back. And that he's willing to eat Bruce's contract. Um, there's there's uh, uh, Swarzak, mm-hmm. who I think is on a, a decent chunk of salary. I can't remember. I want to say that it's like something like eleven million dollars a year or something. But I could I could be way off base. Yeah, take a look at that. And then it's going to send I guess twenty million. It was reported at sixty, but I think that was some of the the money that was spread out um, with the other contracts that were being taken. Like is it like is a total value type of thing? No, I thought that was value. cash. I thought that was cash. And it's twenty million in cash. Yeah, that's that's a big Passan, drop. If you look at the Jeff Passon tweet, he he corrected that from whatever because uh, it was Joel Sherman that had tweeted out um, the sixty million dollar number, and that that seems way off base. Sixty seems like such an, an exorbitant amount of money for what they're getting. It basically back. have the Cano contract, which is one of the reasons why I initially liked well, that and deal. And they're taking contracts too, and they're taking contracts too. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I mean, if you're if you're the manager and you're giving the Mets sixty million dollars, and I'm the Mets and I'm looking at that, going, okay, now I have Cano for twelve million dollars a year for the next five years. He's going to outproduce that in the first two years, which is why I like the deal for the Mets initially because I think that Cano provide that value back, and then he's just kind of a sitting duck for the next three years, which is fine because you're winning now for next year and the year after for 2020. Um, Swarzak I have at five million last year, eight million this year. Um, this coming year, so a little bit lower. I think that's not bad, especially what we've seen from him. What was his war last year? Uh, he was pretty poor last year, but he, he had a really good year in 2016. Um, DC, or excuse me, 2017. So that goes back. But again, that's that's just a waste piece for um, the Mariners. Like I don't know what they're going to do with him. Like he's 33 years old. I mean, and Kimbrel at six years. I mean, that to some extent almost proves how valuable a guy like Edwin Diaz is, especially if the reliever market is that aggressive. If you just like. If you think that the centerpiece is a trade for the Mets, I think personally they were they were Diaz. If Diaz is a centerpiece, and then the Mariners look at him and go, "Okay, Kalanick is a centerpiece for us," and you look at that in totality, it's like, okay, well, Kimbrel's going for sixty-five million dollars, and you expect Diaz to make about thirty to thirty-five million. 
So is that worth the value of a guy like Kalanick? And if you're in win-now mode, I think to some extent you can rationalize that. I don't think that's completely off-base to rationalize that. Because, you know, I, I really like what Fangraphs did recently with their player valuation for, for all players um, from, like, 50 future value grades to, like, 70 or 80 future value grades in terms of their present total monetary worth. And guys in the 50 to 55 position player rating hit between, like, 25 to $45 million right about. So you get a $20 million discount, basically, on um, from uh, a guy like Kimbrell, who's going to get about 60 65 down to a guy like Kalenic, who's going to end up, you know, in the in the 25 to 45 window or whatever, you know? So, I mean, it's it's interesting. Like, if you look at it like that, and you look at it from a financial perspective, like, I don't mind the bet on him. Because you're getting Diaz, you're getting him now, and you're, you're, just, you're just pushing off the idea that Kalenic... Um, is going to be good, which I, I don't know. The pep, what do you are you concerned, Ralph? Or let's talk. Let's talk Kalenic stock specifically. Are you concerned with Kalenic going to the Mariners and how they've developed prospects <laughs> in recent years? It's a serious question for fantasy owners. Yeah, if you're I, owning Kalenic, you're well, looking at it and going, oh, I don't know here. You know? Yeah, I, I think it's a bit of a chicken or or the egg sort of situation because have they had a lot of talent necessarily in the organization? Has it really been an issue of them developing guys or has it been an issue of not drafting high-end talents and the one sort of high-end talent you did draft a few years ago immediately like tore up his knee within like the first two months of his professional career and never sort of been right again. Um, And, you know, you see a guy like Edwin Diaz who came to the system. I mean, he's been pretty good. Um, I know Mitch Haniger, you know, is Brewers and Diamondbacks and sort of broke in with with Seattle. I don't know if you can give them any credit there. Um, yeah, you know, it, 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 it's tough because then you have guys like Zanino, um, you know, who I yeah, guess, we have you know, has that, some yeah. value, but, you know, has never been necessarily elite. Um, obviously, they were able to move on from him. So, you know, Paxton, I mean they've developed some guys. It's just a matter to me of like how much talent have they actually brought into this organization within the last, you know, 15 years. It's 2001 is the last time the Mariners made the playoffs. And it looks like they're going to go on a 20 year drought, maybe more. And that's kind of unfortunate, you know, because there's a good fan base up there in uh, the Pacific Northwest, but maybe for the first time, they're going to actually try to do this, right. Acquire good talents um, by trading off their pieces, maybe develop some of these guys that were fringe. You know, maybe Dan Vogelbach finally gets some run. <laughs> <laughs> oh my but, god! Uh, one thing I want to touch on—I sure. know this isn't a, a prospect thing, but it, it's the off season, so I feel like we can kind of go yep. a little bit more free form. Um, you know, I think there's some value with Cano still too. Um, I know he had the PED suspension, but in his 80 games, he hit really well. Uh, I believe in that second half, he was number one amongst second baseman in war. He even had a plus uh, defensive war uh, at second base. So, and, and read into that what you want, but he wasn't bad. And second base to me is probably one of the least demanding defensive positions in baseball, if not the least defensive, uh, demanding defensive position in baseball with all the advanced, you know, metrics that we now know about, you know, uh, positioning and, and all that sort of stuff that, it, it, it feels like it's less of an issue there than other places. I don't know if you agree or disagree there, but I, I feel like I have less of a concern. You know, if a guy can handle that position, it's it's almost like the left field or the infield, right? Um, yeah, and it's, it's, it's definitely it's the infield. It's not. It's not. Important. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't shifting. feel like. 
years ago, even five, six years ago, I, I feel like I would rave about guys, second base defense. And like within the last three or four years, I don't find like I ever find myself feeling that way because there's so many ships and it's so heavy on that side that it's like, it's the third baseman making the plays that the second baseman used to make or the shortstop or something mm. like that. So I'm not too worried about it. And I think that, you know, Rosario for that reason could probably cover a good amount of ground. We'll see who's at third. Um, so I'm not worried about Cano potentially giving value uh, or providing value for the next two, three, me neither. Yeah. maybe even four seasons. I hate to say it. He's probably, he's probably the, the Mets best hitter. He gives them some, you know, consistency. Maybe he'll be happy to be back in the big city. And, uh, you know, he feels, he feels a bit of a void for them in terms of like, you know, face of the franchise kind of guy. This is a team that was projected to win 80 games prior to this ac- these acquisitions. This makes them a good team depending on what, upon yeah, what really happens good in Philly. Yeah. What, depending on what happens in Philly, and Washington, they at least have a fight, uh, you know, a puncher's chance now, and they can make a few more moves, and we'll we'll see what their GM's made of. I'm sure this guy wants to make a splash if he's heading this in this direction now, and he still has a few more bullets in the chamber, uh, you know, with some of the other prospects they have in the system. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see what they do, but I, I don't hate this move for the Mets, and, and I can kind of see the angle from the Mariners. What's a little staggering to me is the potential money, whether it is the rumored 60 or the 20 that we were hearing a little bit later. Uh, and some of these contracts are going back and forth. Understand the players, understand why to get uh, underneath the Cano contract. Um, but mm-hmm. I don't know. It's it's a little odd that you'd have to spe- uh, send that much money as well. I feel like that's why you're sending the Cano contract with Edwin Diaz. It's it's like you're getting this productive player on kind of a bad contract, like kind of a bad contract that we can't afford. He doesn't make sense for us, but you're also getting this amazing asset that's top five of this position. And oh, by the way, it's 24 and under team control for mm-hmm. four years. Mm-hmm. No, I think that, that's a very good way to look at it. The we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pounds. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. Uh, quickly, before we hop into something else, because we've been bling around this for a bit, but Mariners yeah. farm system rank now that they have a guy like Sheffield in there mixed with. Say if this gets done, again, we're, we're hesitant on this because we don't know if it's 100% done. Again, we're looking at Friday night right here on the mm. East Coast in Central Time, so we're not 100% sure on it. But say it gets done, you had Kalenic, you had Dunn, uh, to Sheffield. I still think it's a bottom 10 farm system in baseball, but the th- interesting tweets I saw going around were that if they potentially, say, get a Hanniger trade done and add another 55 future value guy, maybe even 60. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And Segura, you know, you maybe add, that's another probably 45, 50 prospect. Then does that end up more around like middle of the pack, Ralph? I, I think I hesitate on that just because I don't think it's deep at all. I think one of the big things we go back to in praising like a team like the White Sox farm system after they made that Moncada uh, Kopech acquisition for sale, the one of the reasons why that kicked them up into like solidifying their top five presence was that they had a lot of depth at the at that time before they got Moncada and Kopech. I thought at the time, you know. So it's like if you're the Mariners and you're just adding on top. You're still, it's almost just becoming like a top heavy org. Like, they don't have any 50 future value guys. So now you add in Kalenic and Dunner, 50 future value guys, probably. And you add in Sheffield, probably right on 50 future value guy. 
And then after that, you still have the sh the shit show. Excuse my language. That was that was there. You know, it's still garbage. It's garbage from then. Now it's just garbage from four to thirty. <laughs> and now you have three guys at the top that are decent. So I I don't I really hesitate to bump this this up even if they say they trade Segura and Hanniger and add two two fifties. So then you end up with like three or four fifties and a forty five and then just absolute garbage. Well, I think one of the things that is pushes a lot of the top 10 farm systems ahead of the others is the fact that you have a lot of like 45, 40 plus future value depth. You have a lot of those guys lingering between like 15 and 25. And the Mariners just do not have that to me. And I think well, I hesitate saying it's a, it's a rebuilt farm system. It's a better farm system without a doubt, but it's not, it's not, it's not league average. Well, I let's think. talk through it. Let's talk through it a little bit. Okay. Sure. So let's say that we do add Justin Dunn and Jared Kalanick to the mm -hmm. system. Who do you rank one between Justice Sheffield, Jared Kalanick, and just and, and uh, Justin Dunn? I'll go Sheffield. I think you okay. might disagree on this. Um, no, I, I I think see it's 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 tough They're for me because I feel like I can go really close on all three, and yeah. I actually mm -hmm. think Dunn is a better pitcher yep, than yep. Justice Sheffield. But I think Sheffield's a little bit closer, um, and you know I hesitate to, to say there's more upside, but maybe there's a tick more upside there. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go with uh, uh, the the option C and go with Jared Kalenic, okay. and then rank Justin Dunn and Sheffield, but say it's like two A and two B. Um, I just think there's a lot of upside there. Then you have G uh, Kyle Lewis four, and then it's your choice of Logan Gilbert or Evan White five. That's pretty good. That's not a bad top five. I have to say you have three, you know, three legitimate arms there, a talented, um, you know, high upside uh, prep outfielder beginning of his career. You still have a guy in Kyle Lewis there where there's some skills. Um, and then you have Evan White, who I think, you know, he's starting to untap a little bit of that power. We know there's a good hit tool and he's an excellent defensive first baseman. Um, so he's going to fit right in. That's not a bad top five. And I know if, you know, you were a Gilbert guy, so I, I'm a big Gilbert guy. Yeah. I'd probably yeah. have him above Kyle Lewis. Honestly, I think Kyle Lewis is almost, yeah, I'm, I'm going over, uh, we haven't done our list yet. Yeah, so I just, haven't. I just quickly looked at MLB. No so problem. I'm just naming yeah. some of these names. Uh, Julio Rodriguez, who is a really talented J J two guy mm -hmm. from two years ago, big power. Um, you know, I've, I've seen, you know, 55 in the hit. 60 on the power, raw power. Um, then you have Braden Bishop, who, you know, is more of like a uh, fourth outfielder with like some speed, some defensive value. Uh, Sam Carlson, who's a big righty. I think it was a New Mexico kid from two years ago. It might have been hurt last year. Um, I haven't dug into the Mariners at all. Yeah, I think he had Tommy John. Um, Josh Stowers from Stanford, who was not a bad pick this year for them. Well, I, we're starting to go through the top ten. Eric Swanson, who they added, Noel V. Uh, Marte from this 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 class was actually a pretty good signing for them. Um, Cal uh, Cal Raleigh uh, was from this draft class. He had a pretty good year. Um, they got Ricardo Sanchez, who I don't love. Yeah, I mean it, the back end it gets really ugly after. It's going to get really ugly after fifteen, but. They're going to have a solid like 15 to 20 where there's some decent guys. You know, yeah, I forgot about Dom Thompson Williams. Um, yes, I don't know. I mean, 
they're probably 20. They're 20. I think they'll be like 20, 21, 22 overall in terms of like system rankings. If they add another high end or couple of high end guys, or they get like three prospects in each deal with Segura and, um, and Hanniger, and they sort of figure out how to, how to steal some of these, uh, lesser known, like, uh, international guys that turn into something, um, like the, Mar- uh, like, uh, the Astros seem to do with the Marlins for like uh, five years consecutively. <laughs> um, you know, maybe they can sort of bump up into that 10 to 15 to 17 window. But I think the highest they're going to get is like 18, yeah. uh, unless they get some significant prospects and they package a couple of guys and they get some big back. But I don't know. And I don't, and I don't know which big prospects are necessarily available. I feel like that's another question maybe for another show is once some of the, the dust settles and we see what happens at the winter meetings, which guys are really potentially getting dealt and which teams are actually willing to sell them because more and more, it seems like we have about half the league right now that's sort of hoarding their prospects and trying to get these cost control that, uh, players and talents and develop these guys and have, you know, some stars at, at a relatively low price. so They can be really competitive for a few years. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's fair. I think that there's a lot of angles to look at it. And I like that overall valuation of the Mariners system like that. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if I have much more to say on it. Um, I think that's a pretty good rundown. I think it may be underestimated. I, I'm not a big Kyle Lewis guy. I like Logan Gilbert and Evan White, I think, yeah. is, is in that same window of I'm not 100% sure on. But they had a couple more guys that could be interesting. I just don't. I saw some tweets that they could hop into, like, top 10-ish window. It, and I'm like, it's just not. It was not the bad. worst system. Yeah, it, it was like probably the worst system. It, yeah. was, it was. I think it's the worst system in baseball, personally. It was, but, but, by, by far. Gotta get, by it's got to get better at some point. There's, there's a lot of flipping that goes around, especially on those low teams. Um, as with high, they get higher and higher draft picks. And you're going to have a couple of higher draft picks that next year and the year after too. So um, quick though, I, I still worry about the player development within the organization as well. I think that's something yeah. that you really have to be concerned about is you're adding all these prospects, but you haven't really produced any prospects. So do you have confidence in and this goes back to what I was talking about with Kellenic owners is like, you have confidence in a guy like Kellenic developing. Do you have confidence in a guy like Dunn developing Logan Gilbert, Gilbert developing? It's like, I don't know. I want to see some change. And I guess it's a matter of I, I, I'm hopeful. I'm optimistic that at some point it's going to come. You know, I don't think they could be shitty forever at it, especially with how much uh, knowledge spillover, so to speak, they have between organizations. They could pick up guys from other orgs who are going place to place. And I think that that's extremely valuable. It happens all the time. You see guys hopping from team to team, especially with all the guys that just went to the Orioles, their GM and all these other people who are coming in for other organizations like that player development system and that farm system is going to get a lot better, especially because of everything and all the knowledge other people are bringing in. And I think that it's similar thing has to happen with the Mariners before um, you start to 100% buy into a lot of their prospect moves. It's like, sure, it could be a top 10 farm system. Would you ever rather have a top 10 farm system or a top 10 player development system? I'd probably take the player development side and then find the prospects and develop them. So I guess that's kind of the final word on the Cano trade. Again, not 100% done. We're still waiting on it. So definitely check back, check details, etc. But um, we want to talk a little bit, I guess maybe like five minutes each on these quickly, Ralph, before we get into kind of these sleeper prospects we want to talk about. But um, Rail Muto uh, is a player that I want to go back to, and I know maybe we're going to touch on this in probably future shows because I, I don't know if he's getting traded. I remember his agent at one point, I believe, tweeted out, or excuse me, someone tweeted out that his agent said, or was there was a rumor or a column written that he will be in a different uniform by spring training, which makes me think that the market is is being gauged on it. We just haven't heard much about it. Um, and today, 
uh, this Friday, November 30th, uh, the Washington Nationals signed Jan Gomes, which is an interesting move in and of traded itself. For. Excuse me, traded for Jan Gomes, which is an interesting move in and of itself. But to me, it signals that maybe the price, the asking price for Real Muto from the Miami Marlins was too high because you have to think that they come to the table, the Marlins, and want one of Kibu and Robles, right? And obviously, the Nationals trading for a guy like Young Gomes signals that, that they were not willing to give up either of those prospects. And there's not much else there. I mean, Daniel Johnson isn't much of a prospect who, who is what netted Daniel Jones, along with uh, Jeffrey Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you know, sixth or seventh, depending upon who you talk to. I had him sixth in mine. And I didn't, I didn't really love him, but it's just he had some big tools. He's got a huge arm. He's a pretty good fielder, uh, 70 runner, probably a 60 raw pop, maybe a little bit more. Um, so he's got everyday tools, but he's sort of just a fourth outfielder uh, in terms of the sum of his parts. So I think Washington just doesn't have the depth in which to deal to get Real Muto done. Um, it's kind of interesting. I heard the Cubs are throwing their hat in the ring there. I and saw I guess too, part yeah. of it is that they're thinking about maybe moving on from Contreras. Mm-hmm. Maybe Contreras goes to Miami. That's interesting. I, I mean, I don't know. That's another one where I just don't know who exactly the Cubs give to headline that, right? Like, the trades that I've seen that make sense for Real Muto to me are honestly all from the Astros. It would have they, to be. They have the, yeah. It would I have agree. to be, but I, I feel like the Astros have the top-tier pieces. Like, if I'm the if I'm the Miami Marlins looking at the Cubs farm system. Or the Braves. Or the Braves, absolutely the Braves. Um, but they got Brian McCann back, so it's like, again, that's another suitor then off the table. So, yeah. I mean, I don't think to pick up a can and Real Muto. What, are you going to move Real Muto to first or whatever with Freeman there? It just doesn't make sense to me. No, I don't know. They're not going to play McCann every day. He's like a backup true, catcher true. at this point. But if, I'm, but if I'm getting Real Muto, I envision him playing 130 games a year, right? Like, he's done it, and you know he could do it, and he's an impact player. Like, I can't imagine they pick up Brian McCann to play 30 games. But anyways, if you're the Cubs getting Real Muto, do you take, do you take the top three guys from that system? And it's probably not enough, right? Like, who's in there? Ramos Aidman, you got Albert Alzale, and a couple other guys. Like, it's just not a good system. So, I mean, maybe Nico Horner now is probably a guy that's at the top, too. So, I guess maybe you want to try for Nico Horner in that situation if you're the Marlins. But the trades that make sense are all from the Astros. The combinations of Kyle. Yeah, I like Alex Lang, too. But I I don't think he moves the needle in a Real Muta deal. What What I like from the Astros is guys like Kyle Tucker and Josh James comboed up where you're getting a 60 future oh, value man. guy in Kyle Tucker, which is what and be I, that's gross, been rumored. I feel, I feel like that's an overpay, but maybe it's not. <laughs> I don't know. I think that's a pretty fair pay. I, maybe not the Josh James piece, but if you center that around Kyle Tucker and give him a couple peripheral pieces, I think they get you to the table. I think. Uh, oh, I back. was saying James and Tucker together. Oh God, that, that's a big deal. It's a huge deal. I think that's what's got to get Real Muta though, right? Control, consistency. He's a good framer. He's produced consistently like three to four war. And it's at a premium, premium position that all contending teams pretty much need to upgrade. And you could clearly see have upgraded. You know, I, I don't know. I think those are the trades that make sense for Real Muto. And I thought that maybe the Nationals could get it done with a guy like Robles or Kibum because those are both 55, 60 future value guys, in my opinion. But they're off the table. So now it almost all comes back to the Astros. It's almost like the, the Nationals not going in on it and possibly the Braves not going in on it signal to me that it's almost like the price is going down to some extent because if all these teams are securing catchers, where exactly was Real Muto have to go to a contender? You know, does does an outside team like the Padres take a shot? I don't think so because I think a move like Richards in that situation that they picked up Richards and signed Richards signals that they're not really interested in 2019 or 2020. They were probably interested in 2021 when they can qualify a guy like Garrett Richards, send him a qualifying offer, and retain him for 
19 million or whatever they want to do. Or if they like him after the Tommy John, they sign him. So it, there's, I, I honestly think I, the point I'm trying to make with this is that there's these peripheral moves, these moves that happen that don't exactly involve prospects have a lot to do with what is, is signaling the price of the prospects and how those are fluctuating. And I really think that there was conversations between the Nationals and between the Marlins on JT Oramuto, and it just did not come to fruition, which signals to me that the Nationals are extremely high in Robeson Kiboom and that a guy like Robeson Kiboom probably would have gotten it done in some combination with other prospects and got Real Muto to the Nationals, but obviously it did not happen. Um, we can finish on that and Ralph quickly on other sleeper teams to make moves. Uh, interesting here. The one that I saw kicked around a bit, Ralph, is one that we have very near and dear to our hearts, and you wrote a very, uh, very fantastic, honestly, great top 30 on over on Prospects Live. Is the Colorado Rockies, who were rumored, I believe, to uh, possibly have some kind of centerpiece around a Brendan Rodgers trade for various guys. I don't know exactly where I saw it. I think it was like an MLB pipeline move. It might have just been more pure speculation. I, I- but, uh, I heard I heard potentially Real Muto. Yeah, was that, too. yeah, yeah. So that's an interesting one because do you think? Well, we'll start with this. Do you think that the the Rockies could afford trading a guy like Brent Rogers? Yeah, I think they, they could. Too, right? I think yeah. I, part of me, I, I hope they trade all their prospects too because they don't call any of them up. I hope they trade Real Muto. I hope they trade Tapia. I hope they trade Ryan McMahon, and I hope they just sign all the free agent veterans they can. Uh, their heart desires just because it seems like that's exactly what the Rockies want to do. And they can kind of compete every year and just have a bunch of old guys whose numbers get inflated by uh, the home park. But yeah, I kind of think they can trade Rogers. They have Hampson. Um, I think they can move forward with Hampson. I think they could sign a second baseman if they really needed to. Um, I think, you know, they, they, they actually drafted a second baseman, I think, or, or shortstop second baseman, similar sort of profile. And Taryn Vavra this year, that's a pretty good hitter. He was actually a first-team All-American for Minnesota. Um, so it sort of speaks to volumes about his, you know, two-way play. Um, so I think there's other options in the system, especially if they retain Nolan Arenado long-term and Trevor Story is really broken out. So, you know, I, I think they can trade Brendan Rodgers and a few other pieces of guys that are sort of caught up in this logjam, especially in the outfield, and you know, other guys like McMahon that are blocked and they could probably get a, a, a real Muto deal done if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. I think they could too. And I think the Rogers is a really interesting piece of trade specifically because of how Hampson's played specifically because they've already moved McMahon to second base a couple times. I know it's a weird project, but honestly <laughs> with how shifting is going on, it's very hard to understand exactly how the right side of the infield particularly plays with movement of players. And when you're turning that back to stats like defensive run saves, but the Colorado's a weirder team, too, because they don't know if they're retaining Arenado. If they don't sign him long-term, he's a free agent uh, after next year, I believe. He's a big, big, big piece probably of the next offseason. Um, and and the Rockies put a lot of money in a guy like Charlie Blackman. So that team, in my opinion, is almost turning into a slighter kind of window right now. If you want to make a move and get Real Muto and trade a centerpiece like Rogers, I think it's smart. I think, honestly, for the Rockies, this is probably the best move they can make is to trade a guy like Brendan Rogers and add in another piece or two, you know, lower well, level, and get a guy like Real Muto and add him to that team. And that's a very, very good contending team at that point, especially with the pitching they have in Marquez. You know, it's that's a well-rounded team. And and, and I wanted to actually mention this, too, is uh, the Marlins are a good fit for Rodgers because they don't really have, Much middle you know, field impact. Yeah. a shortstop yeah. guy. I mean, a shortstop prospect of, of, of any, you know, Value. They have Isan Diaz, who's really more of a second yeah, baseman. Definitely. 
Um, and I think, you know, camps are split on him and, you know, I'm a fan, but Me too. Me too. I don't necessarily means everybody is. They, they drafted Osiris Jones. They had traded for, uh, uh, they got Jose De- Devers, who's, you know, more of a, uh, uh, defensive prospect, you know, more of a speed guy contact. He's not power. He's not like his cousin. Um, so they don't really have a ton of like standout shortstop Bryson Brigman, I guess, depending upon how you feel about him. Um, Roger seems like he, right away, short, he's, right? he's their number two best prospect, right? Number one, number two, depending yep. upon how you feel about Victor Mesa. I know some people are gaga about Mesa, so I don't want to just say, you know, it's, he's absolute, absolutely number one, but he'd be my number one. And it'll be interesting to pose that question to Eddie this weekend uh, on the Marlins podcast when we record that one. Ooh, I'd like to pose that to him for sure. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I think this thing makes a lot of sense for Colorado to be buyers right here and, and trade some of these prospects and convert them. So we'll see what they do. And then Arizona is the last thing I briefly want to mention just because they're a weirder team. They're probably like the Rockies in a year where they have a big piece like Paul Goldschmidt and uh, not exactly sure what they do with Goldschmidt. I think there's obviously rumors that he goes to a team like the Yankees and then they start a quick rebuild. But I think honestly one of the weirder things they could do is, is to reassign a guy like Pollock and make a quick run you know, make a run through this season and and try to acquire a couple of peripheral pieces. And if they don't do that, then you hit the trade deadline and you end up with a bunch of prospects um, on your team if you want to flip guys like Granke or you want to flip guys like Paul Goldschmidt come August if this team is out of it. If you see L.A. running away with the division and then uh, Colorado in, in firmly entrenched in a wild-card spot and you're lingering behind with that much confidence, then you ship Golden to get a bunch of prospects. But they're in a weirder situation, particularly because I just think they're they're gauging a lot of moves. You hear a lot of the rumors around Grank. You hear a lot of the rumors around Goldschmidt. But um, the value on those guys is going to be really, really tough. And I think that a lot of the, the trades we're seeing are informing the values. But we're, we still don't have too much of a gauge on guys who are like a year out from uh, from new contracts and guys like Goldschmidt and elsewhere. Um, and I'm just really interested to see how much that market's changed since the last trades we've seen like that. Because we're getting we're getting kind of the older prospects here in Cano. We're getting the really young guy in Diaz, but in a weirder position as a elite reliever. But uh, but moving forward, Arizona is going to be very interesting. They're a team that I'm going to watch very closely because uh, at some point I think someone's going to come in and make a hard offer for Paul Goldschmidt and end up with a pretty good, pretty good guy first base. But um, I think that kind of wraps up our trade talk, Ralph. Obviously, in the offseason here with no lists that are all – we're doing all our list pods, obviously, on Prospects Live, ProspectsLive.com, Shirts Prospects Live on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We should pop up. We 100% will pop up. But uh, Razzball is always here. I'm going over some prospect stuff, but we want to jump in right now to some sleeper prospects. These are from the prospects live list that me and Ralph have done. Uh, We're going to pick out a couple guys here that you probably don't know much about. We hope Um, maybe you've heard names up before, excuse me, but don't know much about past that. Um, So Ralph, do you want to kick it off with one of your guys here? Yeah, I think the first guy I'm going to go to, and of course I have to go to uh, organization kind of maybe speaking to your point about Seattle before, that does a great job of identifying talent and then really cultivating that talent, getting the most out of it. And that's the Houston Astros. And a guy that I think is probably going to jump up a lot of lists over the course of this season as we get a, a, a larger sample size of his work. And that's Brian Abreu, right-handed pitcher uh, for the Astros. 21, pitched in uh, low A this year, only threw about 54 innings, but the numbers were good. Uh, 1.49 ERA, 2.51 FIP, back that up. 14.9 K per nine, uh, 3.81 
walk per nine, 1.74 batting average against. So the numbers are really good. As for the stuff, it depends on the day. He's been kind of inconsistent. Uh, one of the things that I think he benefits from is the fact that they sort of piggyback starts uh, in the Houston Astros system. So they'll have two starters. They only sort of go one time through the order. And it sort of obviously puts a little bit less strain on him and it also sort of uh, inflates some of the numbers in terms of how they look. But I think it's part of their development plan and, and they do a really good job of developing these guys and bringing them along, bringing folks into the system, even if they were established pitchers at the major league level and making some tweaks and sort of getting the most out of them. Um, I think we really saw that at the major league level this year with Garrett Cole. Um, we saw it the year before with Charlie Morton, and we've seen it uh, with guys like Dallas Keuchel and, and others that have come through the system. So with arms, I think this is a system you want to bet on because they have pedigree in terms of developing them. So as for the stuff, um, fastball in the good days will touch 97, mostly sits 93, 95. It will tick down a little bit uh, on its bad days, and he won't necessarily have the same control that he has. Uh, when he's sharp and on, he's got two breaking balls, pretty common of uh, Astro starters as I started digging on my top 30 there. It's another top 30 that I did uh, a couple weeks ago now. So I would say go back and check that one out. I think it was one of my favorite ones that I did. But yeah, like I said, two breaking balls, both sort of flash above average the curveball and a slider with sort of two plane movement. I like the curveball a little bit better more than the slider, but it's good. Uh, he's got a change up as well. Um, you know, a guy that just misses a ton of bats, he sequences well. Um, and I'm, I'm interested to see what we can get from this guy once he gets a little bit higher up against, you know, more advanced bats, more advanced hitting. Um, does the, the strikeout stuff still play? Cause we're talking about a 40% strikeout guy with the stuff to match. Nothing he throws is straight. Um, gets really good extension. I think the, the delivery is, is relatively easy. Um, and he's got some swagger on the mound too. So I, I dig Abreu a lot. And I think he's a guy that you should definitely chase in dynasty leagues. Uh, anywhere there's maybe 200, 250 prospects owned. I think Abreu is a guy to chase. I like it a lot. I'm going to jump to my Cardinals list, which I, re- I most recent one I think I put out there. The guy who hit three home runs in a Mexican league, Mexican league game recently, Ramon Urias of the Cardinals second baseman. I think I had him around 23 on my list, but uh, I know there's already clamor that he should bump up. He seems to always hammer the Mexican league. He has six home runs there right now, um, which is more home runs than he hit in 46 games at AAA Memphis in 2018. He had five there. Um, and he's mashing. And I think there's a lot of buzz here about what exactly happens um, in the future, especially because he's already been up to AAA and has hit eh, moderately well at AAA, I would say, without much discipline, but moderately well. Um, 346, 464, 519 in the Mexican League, again, with six home runs at 39 games. Um, a little bit of a slightly open stance, really compact swing, a little bit of a drawback with his hands and a, a small toe tap that I've seen him kind of bring into a little bit of a light kick. Pretty level swing. There is one home run. I think if you actually Google Ramon Urias Cardinals, the first home run on there is a game against the Tulsa Drillers that he hits out to uh, right center field and kind of like an inside-out swing. But he hits this ball over like 410, and I think you start to kind of see that there's maybe a little bit more than than like the 3540 uh, game power. That a lot of we talked about cite. that home run when it happens because you remember yeah. I was I was high in him coming into the year as like you were. Yeah, yeah, he kind of he kind of didn't. I don't want to say he busted, but he just didn't kind of produce as well to yeah, start. Yeah. Or he started pretty well and then he got hopped up to Memphis and didn't hit well. But um, that home run out to right center and it's just kind of insane to me, especially with the guy who gets tagged at like 30, 35 power um raw or excuse me game power. I think that's more probably 40, 45 
And uh, if you add that to the 50 hit tool that I think is generally consensus around him and the possibility that it's probably even more like 55, I think you're going to end up with a guy here who can produce and produce well, average fielding, average throw, probably I think it's average speed as well. Um, I, I, he's super interesting just because I, I almost like him a little more probably in like NL only leagues to get some playing time at the major league level because I think at some point he's going to have to hop up in there. He's already on the 40 man. I believe he was added um, recently as the Rule 5 deadline came up. And um, I'm a fan. Uh, I think it's compact swinging. I don't think there's as much swing and miss. Discipline probably could be better, but I think that probably limits the profile. But what you have here is a guy you can hit, a guy you can hit for some average. I think a little bit more power than people expect and play second base on a team that um, I know has Wong. They played a great defensive second base, but I don't know if def- <laughs> defensively, as we're talking about second base, but we're talking about it with Cano and some other spots. We don't really know how valuable a defensive second baseman is, even if Wong was good and the stability of that and something like defensive run save the year over the year, especially in the middle infield with all the shifting is definitely getting a little bit walk here so keep an eye on Ramon Urias and drafts coming in especially really really late another one Ralph who you got all right so my second guy I'm going to throw out here I know you're all excited to hear about relief prospects well I just <laughs> did the Rocky system and I don't know if you realize this uh Lance I almost called you Ralph as if I'm <laughs> talking, talking to myself third person nice I like uh, it. <laughs> that's, yeah well that's what that's what happens when your day job is being dusty Colorado according hey, to the internet. there you go I know right <laughs> I, I already tried to dispel these rumors but they keep going back anyway so uh a guy by the name of Reed Humphreys I don't know if you're familiar with his work he don't was in Hartford toward the end of the season caught him a little bit and he looked really good Dug in a little bit more over the course of the week, and he's a guy that, you know, part of my process, we do these system scrums over on uh, Prospects Live, where essentially what we do is the list maker, whoever's writing the top 30, comes in, list's usually done, partially done, two-thirds done, and we sort of have a conversation around their ranks. Maybe talk up guys that we like, folks that we think are, you know, potentially, or, or guys that we think are potentially underrated, players we think are overrated, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I think what it does is it challenges you to sort of go back and maybe reevaluate some of your decision making, why you had one guy higher than another, and uh, gives you a little bit more clarity. And when that happened, I, I moved a, a guy by the name of Reed Humphreys up to number 11 from like 18, 19. And the reason that I did that is he was one of the most productive pitchers in the Rocky system last year. And really, over the last two years, he's been one of the more productive relief prospects in the minor leagues. Over the course of you know 2017, 2018, he's thrown 85 and two-thirds innings. He's got 39 saves. He's got three or four record, 105 strikeouts to 26 walks, 178 batting average against. Furfels back it up as well. He's getting 18.3% swing strike rate over that time. He's got a fastball that sits 95 to 99. We'll touch 101. And his secondary pitch, it's, it kind of reminds me of Lutrovino, is a nasty cutter in, you know, 92 to 94 range. So he's throwing two really high octane pitches with break. Nothing that he throws is straight works pretty low in the zone, the fastball. So we'll get a decent amount of ground balls. He's got a really interesting background. He was a top, uh, I think 10, uh, uh, prospect in his recruiting class. He was a two way player, uh, out of Northwest Rankin high school in Mississippi. And what happened is coming into his sophomore year, excuse me, his sophomore year, his senior year, the end of his junior year of high school, he hurt his elbow, had to have Tommy John surgery. So he proceeded sort of as a hitter, missed the summer circuit in all those leagues and showcases and everything else. Came out, hit really well, uh, got the scholarship to Mississippi State and was actually a hitter for his first two and a half years, three years, essentially at Mississippi State. 
hitting in the middle of that Bulldogs lineup. Actually, and we know that's one of the better programs in the country. And there were some injuries to the, the bullpen in, uh, I think, 27, uh, 2016. And um, he was asked to, to come back and throw. He hadn't thrown in essentially three years. Uh, through half a season, led the Bulldogs pen with seven saves down the stretch. Numbers were a little bit uneven in terms of the ERA was almost six. Uh, was taken by the Rockies in the seventh round, and there was some question as to whether they're going to, you know, sort of, uh, you know, develop him as a as a hitter or as a pitcher. They decided to go pitcher, and I think they've really done the right thing. You know, I know everybody's on Justin Lawrence right now. Reed Humphreys moved up a level, was at the same level, and outproduced him. And I think his stuff is better. This is the kind of guy that I think potentially could be like a top, you know, 10 to, to 15, 20 reliever in the game within a few years, just because, because of the sort of stuff, the deception that's there, high octane swing and miss stuff. Um, and he doesn't have a lot of wear and tear in the arm. I like it. I feel like we don't really talk about relief prospects at all, Ralph. So you're kind of filling the void there in terms of that. I think that's super important, especially because guys like Lou Trevino have value now. We're going to get a lot more guys who are two to three inning pitch guys, and it's going to be tough to value those guys for fantasy. And I think yeah. it's becoming much more relevant, especially on some of these guys who have really good stuff, but can convert um, from being late starters to dominant relievers. Um, I'm going to jump to the Minnesota Twins list and talk about a hitter, Deshaun Kersey Jr., um, Interesting guy. I, he's one of the guys, I think, on this list that I didn't know really anything about as I was digging through. He's a Utah kid from the Pac-12, um, was drafted this year, played three years at Utah. Hit really well. He's kind of like a five-tools outfielder, maybe with the power being one of the deficient tools. But um, I really like everything about this kid. He's got a really short, compact swing from the left side, a little bit open, quiet hands, quiet everything. I think his bat path ranges pretty well. He's got kind of a little bit of inside out. And he keeps it level when he goes to left center. Um, from the left side, and when he pulls things, it drops a little more, and he can get his hands in, especially on inside pitches, really well. Um, he's a plus runner. He's going to be a good defender. I think he won all defensive in 2016 in the Pac-12. Um, throws decently. I don't really know if it's a right field profile. I don't think it's center, um, but the, the big question here is the raw power and, and how much of that actually plays up, and if it's probably at peak, something more like 50-50, um, and at the moment, I think that's one of the reasons that's dragging down his value. He's probably more like a 40, 45 future value guy just because of where the bat is. But I really like his swing enough to the point where I'm willing to kind of say that maybe he produces pretty well, especially if he jumps up to like the Midwest League this year and possibly moves quick. Already 21, his build's pretty strong. Um, I like him. I think that it's just really compact swing. It's one of those swings that stands out. It's college, a little bit polished. And uh, I think he can develop quick. I think he can move quick, especially as well. And you could probably see him up in high double A by the um, – but maybe early 20 and 20, you know, and then next thing you know, you're looking at 2021-ish, possible late 2021 ETA. And uh, maybe not impact tools, maybe not a lot of impact tools, but I like betting on guys like this who I think have a little bit better of hit tools than people perceive, especially because of how the construction of the swing is and the blueprint of a swing, and they can tap into a little bit more power based on what I'm seeing on the inner third and some of those pitches that he's hitting out the right field. So maybe more pull power than anything, but if you could give me a good hit tool with some pull power, I think you could find some value at the major league level and for fantasy. Um, so Deshaun Kersey Jr., um, I believe he's just Deshaun Kersey on Fangraphs and other sites, but I've seen it Deshaun Kersey Jr. more places, so I'm going to stick with that for now until I get corrected. But, uh, <laughs> uh, Ralph, who is your third before I get to my third and we close up the show? All right, I like it. So, uh, you know what, I'm going to throw a little curveball here. I'm going to give a shout-out to Matt Thompson. Hey. Cole, Cole Rodier, who is an All outfielder, right. second-round pick, 77th overall, signed for $1.2 million dollars. Uh, from the Cubs five tool guy, kind of interesting to me, you know, he's had some injury history, but I think there's some power. There's a decent hit tool, 
Um, and he could have some defensive value, run a little bit. He's an interesting guy for your fantasy leagues. He's an interesting guy for your deeper first-year player drafts. We ended up ranking him 38th overall in our first-year player draft ranking. So I think that sort of speaks volumes for a guy that was out of the second round and uh, sort of has that ability. But I'll keep this short and sweet because I don't think there's too much more to say about him, but he's a guy to keep on your radar. Like I said, five-tool outfielder, uh, you know, ability to maybe contribute with some speed, some power, and uh, potentially some hit if it comes along. Ooh, I like it. And I'm going to finish it off with uh, Braxton Ashcraft, actually, who I think maybe some people know about, but I kind of want to <laughs> go. It sounds like a bunch of swear words. <laughs> <laughs> it does, yeah. <laughs> oh, Ashcraft, goddammit. <laughs> no, Braxton Ashcraft is a pretty dynamic lefty. Um, I like him a bit. Um, fastball slider changeup kind of kid. He's low three quarters. Or actually, he's not a lefty, he's a righty. I don't know why I said lefty there. Fastball slider changeup, a little bit of low three quarters arm slot, 19 years old, 6'5 frame with, I think, some weight to put on. I think he's only listed about 175, 180. He can probably easily get up to low 200s or high 190s. A little bit of a head knock, which I think he's probably going to clean up, but he's really young. He had some decent results in rookie ball, and uh, he's one of the guys on the Pirates list later that I think has a lot of upside. I know that some of these high school kids don't want to have a lot of uh, stability in their profile at all, but a guy like Ashcraft, in terms of how loud some of the stuff is from him, I really like when they stand out. I think his mechanics are pretty fun, too. And one of the things I know we talk about a lot, especially over at Prospects Live, is exactly how to value guys who are probably fringe starters but have good enough stuff where they can end up being two- or three-inning pitch guys. And, and we just mentioned that with a guy like Reed Humphreys and stuff where you're not really 100% sure exactly what happens in terms of the profile, but you think that the stuff is good enough so that if there's if there's a bottoming out of him as a starter profile, it can end up being a two- to three-inning re- reliever. And, you know, there's been a lot of buzz that a lot of teams are going to more here's three starting pitchers and then let's do two days of bullpenning. And for fantasy, at some point, I think there's going to be a better valuation and better understanding of the, how those guys are valued who are ending up with – 90 innings a year 100 innings a year with really good stats and relying on you know one or two pitches the whole time because they're not turning over lineups two or three times and i think ashcraft worst comes worst could fall into that window i think he's really dynamic he's young he's big he's tall and i like the extension he gets a lot i think it's a pretty clean delivery for his size and for his youth so i'm gonna i'm gonna put some marbles in on uh braxton ashcraft but very cautiously as he is a high school kid so uh Ralph, that was a little fun little uh, offshoot there from the Sleeper Prospects. Um, I like doing that. I miss It kind of feels like the 5x5 five five to some extent, which we've been so long without because there's not really much baseball going on aside from some summer, uh, Dominican Summer League and Mexican Summer League stuff. So uh, uh, anything anything to close up the show, Ralph? What do we got? Any predictions? Any crazy predictions? I feel like we got to end with that. Ah, crazy predictions. Crazy predictions. Oh, yeah, I think that the... St. Louis Cardinals are going to make a trade involving prospects and it's going to surprise some people. Okay. Hey, I like that. It's my squad. Okay. Okay. I'll say, uh, I don't, I don't want to miss anything stupid. I haven't really thought up too much. Oh, I'm going to go with, I don't know if this is bold. My prediction is that Thor doesn't get traded. I think I shot this out in a tweet earlier in the week, but I agree. Um, I, I think that there's been some people saying there's momentum towards that, but I, I, I don't know. I don't really see. <coughs> Excuse me. I don't really see how a package is created that is appealing enough to Brody Van Wagner, especially after making the Cano trade. If that's confirmed, to uh, to figure things out, and and it seems when now I don't see why you don't want Syndergaard unless you're getting a bunch of major league level prospects. I don't really see any team giving up major league level prospects that could impact the Mets for a guy like Syndergaard. It's all going to be lower level prospects that mixed with maybe some sixty future value guys because that should it should in theory return something like Chris Sale, um, like Chris Sale did. But um, I don't know. I guess maybe the Mets aren't going to get that. Or if they don't, then they should really hold on, which is kind of where I come down on that. So I'll go Thor to get traded. Ralph goes Cardinals making a trade. 
Um, not really sure if we have any inclinations anywhere else with some of the big minor league, or excuse me, any of the big major league prospects. But we will for sure keep you updated, as always, on the Rise of Wall Prospect Podcast. We will keep you updated on all the prospects moving as well, as that is the most important to us and the most important to all you dynasty owners out there. So as always, I'm at Lance Brasdo on Twitter. I'll be at the winter meetings um, covering the Rule 5 Draft 2, which I'm pretty excited about. Ralph is Prospect Jesus on Twitter. He's always around. We're doing more stuff at ProspectsLive.com, at ProspectsLive on Twitter, ProspectsLive.com. Um, we got some other channels, too. Just go to ProspectsLive.com. Check it out. And you, we will sure you enjoy everything there is if you enjoy a podcast like this where you dig into prospects day in and day out. Ralph, any parting words for the folks? Thanks for listening, guys. See you next week. Take care.